Welcome back to Two In Her Thoughts, the podcast for the overthinkers and those that have been labeled too much. I am your host, Antronique Lewis, here to guide you through the complexities of life to uncover your true authentic selves. It's time to get out of your head, quiet the haters, and go after what you truly want in life. Now let's get into this next episode of Two In Her Thoughts. Welcome back, everyone. Once again, this has been a great journey of me just trying to figure out how to do this whole podcast life. You know, great conversations, great topics, the nervousness, all the shit that goes along with trying something new. It's great just being able to overcome a lot of expectations and pressures that I have put on myself to make this the best thing ever. Speaking of expectations, that is going to be the wonderful topic of today, okay? We know all about expectations, things that society puts on us. We got to look a certain way, act a certain way, be too black, not black enough, all the things. We have to be the best parent, the best student, the best coworker. All of these things that create limits and barriers that we don't even need to put ourselves through sometimes. To help me discuss this amazing topic, especially during Black History Month, I have my wonderful, wonderful, lighthearted, inspirational, Black empowering, most amazing human being ever, Bianca, please introduce yourself. Oh my goodness. That is like, oh my God, you're going to make me cry with that intro. Um, Well, my name is Bianca Johnson-Paleo. I use they and she pronouns. I identify as non-binary. I'm also biracial. Um, I am a community health worker, a social worker, an MSW now. Just got my master's in social work. Woo! And yeah, I work with a trans and queer community in Texas, which is intense. Mm -hmm. It is, uh, it's, um, you know, yeah, it's, it's a rough job sometimes, you know, Mm -hmm. there's a lot going on here in Texas, especially in, um, in the area of Texas that we live in that doesn't have a whole lot of resources for trans and queer folks. And there isn't a whole lot of black community here either. Um, so like this topic around expectations, I'm really, I really love this topic. Um, and I think that, I think that, yeah, this is going to be a great episode. Oh, well, thank you so much for joining me, Bianca. With all guests that come on the show, I do start off with a question. And I want to know if you can sum up in one phrase or word, what has been a topic in your life? That is not how this question goes. So I'm going to start this over. (laughs) If you can sum up in one phrase or word, what the fuck is this question? See, y'all, I'm going to do this. This I'm just keeping this in here. It's keeping it real. We're yeah, because this is, this is what's happening right now. <laughs> um, if you had to sum up how you're feeling or what's on your mind right now in just one word or phrase, what would it be and why? Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. What would it be? Hmm. One word or phrase. That's a tough one. I wish you had given me these questions ahead of time so I could think on it. Uh uh-uh. uh. Okay. Um, I'm going to say I'm feeling cloudy. Cloudy. I'm feeling cloudy like the weather. Okay. You know? There, you know that rain is coming. Mm hmm. But you also know that sunshine will follow. Okay. Yeah. Hopeful. Hopeful. Mm-hmm. So with the cloudiness mm-hmm. comes hopefulness. I think so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think there's like, there's some, um, you know, there's, there's stuff lurking right now in my life and work. And just like the state of the world, it seems like mm-hmm. there's a lot of uh, 
sadness. There's a lot of uncertainty. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a lot of loss and grief, you know? Yeah. Um, but I think, um, you know, I think that, like, with that comes, like, along with that grief, there's always love attached, mm -hmm. right? Because that's why we grieve. Right. It comes from a place of love. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, I think there's always, like, there's always hope, too, in those moments of, like, of, like, sorrow and certainty. There's always, like, that hope. That the sun is about to come out and start yeah, shining. Yeah, that, that soon the sun will be out. Yeah. Ooh, I love everything that you just said. Okay, <laughs> now. That was good. Okay. When we get into this topic about expectations, with the activism that you do in this wonderful city that we live in, <clears throat> let me not lie, this city got its own problems. What kind of expectations has been posed on you? Oh my goodness, um, so many. On, on a personal level, um, well, first off, I'll say this. Um, I grew up biracial. Um, my mom is white um, and my biological father is black. Um, and I was raised by my mom and my stepdad. My stepdad was... Uh, Chicano he's since passed but I was raised by them and here in the city that we live in there is a big Latine and Chicano population it's like the majority of the city mm -hmm. um, and so I grew up in a house with very loving parents there was there was no shortage of love and abundance but I also don't think my parents were really like well equipped to um, raise a biracial child or what it meant to raise a biracial child. So they leaned a lot on my biracial dad's family, my black family, mm -hmm. to kind of take, um, like take that role right. as like part of the village, part, part of raising me. Mm -hmm. And I'm really grateful that they did that. I'm really grateful that they fostered that relationship and I was able to build such a strong connection and strong bonds with my black family. And it was, and because of that, I think, because of that um, bond that I was able to establish with like my aunt, uh, you know, my aunties and my uncles um, and my great grandma, um, like from an early age, I think that kind of solidified in me at a young age who I was mm -hmm. and my identity. And there was a sense of pride in that identity, right. you know? When I went over to my auntie's house, you know, hearing stories about how much I look like my grandma Rose and how much I have her facial features or how I get my hair texture from my aunt Dee Dee mm -hmm. um, or, you know, um, like just just hearing these stories about like ways that I'm alike and that I can connect to these like very strong black women was such a source of pride for me. And so because of that, I never denied myself or my identity or my blackness. Mm -hmm. But growing up in a predominantly Latina community, right. being able to pass as Latina, right? I'm pretty racially ambiguous. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I go to like New Orleans or Baltimore where the majority of the population is black and white. There, I don't have to explain anything. Right. In Baltimore, I go to Baltimore and they're like, oh, yeah. You're mixed, you know, you're, you're, you're half black, half white. We, we, you know, we could see that right away. But you put me in a city that's predominantly Latina and suddenly I start to kind of blend into that, into that population, to that demographic. Um, and so I got asked a lot, like in my youth, you know, like, why is your last name Johnson? Mm -hmm. You know, my mom's last name was Cortez, you know, my stepdad's last name was Rodriguez. And here I am walking around with the last name Johnson. Everybody in the house has a different last name, you know? Right. And um, so I would get asked a lot, why is your last name Johnson? You know, in a classroom full of like Rodriguez and Gonzalez and, you know, Lopez's Johnson really stood out, mm -hmm. you know, a lot because there wasn't like there wasn't black kids in my schools and there wasn't white kids at my school. Right. Either. It was um it was pretty much, it was very, very saturated in Latina, um, you know, folks. So, um, you know, as a kid, I would say, like, very proudly, well, like, my last name is Johnson because I'm 
black. Like my biological dad is black. I'm half black. Mm-hmm. And that always got the same response from non-black folks. It was always met with this like look of confusion mm-hmm. and sometimes a look of disgust, to be oh, honest with you. Not disgust. Yeah. Sometimes I would get these looks and people would say, you're half black, mm. but you don't look black. <gasps> because we... Mm. Cause, yeah, because we're a monolith, because we all look alike. Uh. You don't you don't act black. Mm-hmm. You don't talk black. Mm. I had a teacher one time that said, you should just not say you're black. You should just let people think you're half white. Yeah. On those little tests, you know, the standardized tests. You were like back in the day in elementary yeah. school, when you used to take those standardized tests. They had a section where you had to put in your race and ethnicity and right. they would usually always say like to select one mm-hmm. so they have like black white asian you know hispanic even though hispanic isn't a race but you know right. and and uh then it would say mixed mm-hmm. but or it would say biracial or multiple races but in parentheses next to it it would say not hispanic So I, so I would get confused. And so I would tell my, I, you know, I had, I remember asking my teacher, like, well, what should I put down? And they're like, oh, just put white. Because nobody would know that you're black if they looked at you. Mm. But I know that I'm black. Right. I know that I'm black. And I have my black family telling me they see the black women in my family and me. They see the features in me. Mm-hmm. So it, it, like, at a young age, like, I, it was like... Um, I would get so enraged, so angry and so confused, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and yeah, I think that that honestly started, um, when I think about expectations, I really think about that. I think about the expectations that people had about me out the gate, right. um, regarding like my identity and how I was perceived, mm-hmm. um, and, and then it, telling you what you had to put on something or what would be easier or palpable. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It'd be easier. Right. To, for them to understand it, for them to conceptualize it. Right. Right. But see, that's the thing though. The thing is, is that it's easier for them because they're not black. And it's always, it was always non-black people that would, that would have this like, um, that would have this perception of me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That would have this, like, that would have this look and be like, you're not black? What? Because black people, we know that right. biracial people come in all different shades and all different hair textures. I mean, you know, Tra- Tracy Ellis Ross is biracial. Right. Megan Markle's biracial. Zendaya is a biracial before she permed her hair. Look up Zendaya on Google. Mm-hmm. From her younger days, before Look, she, she before got she it, went, uh, you know, I was gonna say, gotta shake it up. I mean, shake it up. Yeah. I don't know, yeah, whatever when the dance was, on Disney. Yeah, when yeah. she was on shake it up. Look at her hair texture then um, versus now, you know. And you know why? You know why she changed a lot of her appearance was to align more closely to what biracial looks like mm-hmm. to a pa- to to a palatable image of what biracialism looks like mm. in other words you know what i mean yeah. and there's nothing wrong with that because i do too sometimes you know i put my hair in braids and instantly it's like instantly people can understand my biracialism when i put my hair in braids and i love that there's nothing wrong with that because i love being perceived as a black person mm-hmm. i love being seen as a biracial black person it's a source of pride and beauty and love in that identity mm-hmm. you know but have you been in spaces where you have needed to utilize more of your blackness to fit whatever expectations in a predominantly white space that they needed? Does that make sense? Can you repeat that? So, like, have you ever been in a space where they're just like, oh, Bianca, let's go more with your blackness because you will be able to, they will understand you better. Because we have a black staff member. Mm, okay, I see what you're saying. Um, not directly. It's okay. not so insidious mm-hmm. in, as that. Um, and I'll tell you why. I think it is because 
I think it's because in some spaces that are like that with non-black people, mm-hmm. they have a really hard time like fully seeing me as a black person. Mm. Um, I think that I don't, again, like going back to like expectations on biracial people appearing as this like palatable type of biracial right you know um light skin mm-hmm. curly hair mm-hmm. you know beautiful you know beautiful like mm-hmm. textured hair mm-hmm. you know it's it's the zendaya effect is really what i call it right zendaya is this beautiful example of what biracialism looks like. People are able to conceptualize it out the gate. They're able to conceptualize her mm-hmm. as a biracial person. They're able to perceive her immediately. Right. And I think that is the expectation for a lot of biracial folks to meet that standard. Mm-hmm. You know? And because I don't meet that standard, I think for non-black people, they don't see me in that way. Mm. So it's hard for them to tokenize me in that way. Mm -hmm. Mm. You know? Yeah, I I can definitely see that. I spent a lot of my life being tokened. Mm -hmm. And that is expectations in its own. It's, It's just, it's ridiculous, you know, at this place that I worked and I talked about it on a few episodes back um, when we talked about tokenism and I had to keep my mouth shut just so I can make the money that I was making, Mm. you know, but I knew that there was going to be a certain point where I could no longer keep my mouth closed, Mm. you know, like having a white person tell me, oh, are you from here? You're pretty for a black girl. Oh, God. That one? Mm-hmm. Because I decided to start wearing my afro. Oh, that's pretty like that for a black girl. But you know, like your hair, it's like different. You you look more like, you know, like in the 70s, right? Oh, <laughs> oh my, God. my goodness. Yeah, because we're a costume. Yeah. yeah. Like you, like I'll have older non-black people coming to me and just like, oh, you remind me of this one girl from like the 70s, you know, like the roller skate. And I'm like, uh, cool, thanks, thanks. You give me that Pam Greer vibe back in the day. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. Mm, but I just couldn't be just black. And beautiful. And be- yeah. And beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I had to... uh I was expected to be okay with the microaggressions that were just thrown around. And there was a point where I was just like, yeah, you know, this finally, ha ha ha. Like a coworker would come in and at this one time it was like a bunch of us black women that worked on Fridays and he would come in and he would be like, oh, it's Black Friday. Mm. And... At first, it was like, ha, 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 yeah. ha. Mm-hmm. And then it turned into, okay, like, that doesn't need to be said anymore. Like, it's, right. it's, it's not funny. Right. Like, why it wasn't are we... funny the first time. Let's be real. And I hate the word microaggression. I hate that word. Because it ain't micro. There is nothing <laughs> micro about it. It's aggression. It's aggression, aggression. And it is the, it is the, it is the expectation that black people take these daily insults, these daily, you know, um, racialized aggressions to us. And because it happens on a daily basis, we're supposed to say that that's micro. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because it's not, it's not blatant. Right. Well, because you're not calling me the N-word, then, mm. it's, then it's a microaggression. No, because it doesn't cut as deep. Mm-hmm. When you tell me that I'm pretty for a black girl, mm-hmm. that I look like a costume. So do you like bring your people here? Oh my God. Let me tell you, like that moment at work that day fueled me so much that I had to create 
um, a document or a, a policy for microaggressions in the workplace, mm-hmm. for management to be able to handle discrimination in the workplace mm-hmm. for black employees or minority mm-hmm. employees. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That took so much out of me that day. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I can't expect myself anymore mm-hmm. to just shut the fuck up. Yeah. Because I'm making X amount of money. Mm-hmm. This is not okay. This is mm-hmm. fucking up my blackness. This is fucking up my identity. This is fucking up how I see myself. Right. And it hurt. Yeah. It hurt so much to be in that space and to mm-hmm. be expected. And I know we keep throwing the word expected around, mm-hmm. but it's mm-hmm. like these standards mm-hmm. that, oh, because. <clears throat> someone that is non-black is giving you this space and you are making this however amount of money you are supposed to just be okay Mm. Uh why I don't know I don't know why why is it that it's Black History Month, mm-hmm. and we get the one month. Mm-hmm. The shortest month. The shortest month. Mm-hmm. Also, though, another thing that has been coming up this week is for biracial individuals, oh, you get one week. Or you oh, get yeah. half the month. I, yeah, I heard that. You pick a you pick an even day or an odd day. I hear, I hear that, too. Here's why I... I teeter on that line of I get it and I don't get it. Right. Um, I get it and I don't get it. Um, in the funny sense. Like, haha. Yeah, but also in a serious sense, too. Um, I can be real with you. You know, like, I understand that I am racially ambiguous. Mm-hmm. And I understand that in the city I live in, I am perceived as a Latino person. I blend in here, mm-hmm. you know? Um, now like in California, different story, in different states, different story, you put me against like a different background and that changes, which, you know, is kind of cool, but you know, comes with its own, its own thing. But, um, I understand I'm racially ambiguous. And so while I have these experiences that are related to my black identity, there is protection in my racial ambiguity. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's protection in it in the way that a lot of other black folks and even some other biracial folks don't have that protection. Mm-hmm. You know? I get stopped by a cop here and most likely the cop isn't going to double take me. Mm-hmm. You know? Right. The same way that they would like my cousin. Right. You know? Um, who's much darker skin. Mm-hmm. Um, and for somebody that's biracial that is still perceived as a black person, still treated as a black person, mm-hmm. again, they don't have that same protection that I'm given. So I understand this, like, I only get certain parts of it, but I don't see it. I don't see it as a limitation. That's the thing. Mm-hmm. I don't see, you know, the limits to which I celebrate Black History Month, it's not meant as a, well, I only get half a holiday. No, I get to celebrate Black community. I get to celebrate Black folks. I get to celebrate you. I get to celebrate my family. I get to celebrate all of the darker skinned Black people in my life that I love so dearly that don't get their flowers, mm-hmm. you know, and that don't, that their beauty isn't appreciated, that their soul and their intelligence and their ambition and, you know, that, that all of these things like aren't, that aren't celebrated, like I get to celebrate that with them. You know, I just have to understand my place in community, mm. you know, and sometimes that means taking a step back mm. and that's okay. I'll play into that role because that means, I mean, if that means that I'm uplifting the community, if I'm playing that role, then, you know, I don't know. There's just, I, I, I don't see it as like this, this like negative thing that I think a lot of biracial folks forget about. Mm-hmm. They, they are so fearful of rejection. I feel like yeah. rejection from their whiteness 
because they're not white mm-hmm. or they're not perceived as white because they're not treated as white. Right. And rejection from their blackness because they're not fully black mm-hmm. or they're not, you know, they don't they don't uh, know what it's like to navigate the world as a dark skinned black person. Right. You know, and there's there's more nuance to it you know what i mean and especially if you're racially ambiguous then even more so you know even more there you you know so i just i i feel like some biracial folks see this as like um an inherently negative thing that they're being rejected from community and i really don't see it as a rejection from community Mm -hmm. i see it as a way of loving community and it may feel like rejection because folks have to sometimes come in and tap you on the shoulder and be like okay, like it's my turn, hand the mic to somebody else, you know, step back, step down. Mm -hmm. Let's, you know, so anyway, that's. As a racially ambiguous person, are you expected though to take a seat back? Why can't you fully own the blackness that you have and still be in the front fighting with the rest of us? I mean, the fight is at the front. Don't mm-hmm. don't get it twisted. Like I'm there fighting. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But as far as like it, it honestly depends on the room okay. and like the space that you occupy. Mm-hmm. If I'm in a predominantly non-black space, absolutely, I'm going to be one of the loudest voices in the room, mm-hmm. checking you letting you know a black person is in this space right and you need to be paying attention to black voices and i know that the reason why you're listening this intently is because i'm racially ambiguous so you need to be listening to dark-skinned black women Mm -hmm. you need to be listening to dark-skinned black trans women you need to be listening to dark-skinned trans men you need to be listening to darker-skinned black people Mm -hmm. and if you have to hear it from me like Okay, here I am telling you, this is what you need to do. But if I'm in a predominantly black space, like, I know that my role is a little bit quieter. Not silent, mm-hmm. but a little bit quieter. It's maybe more of a um, of a role of, like, an encourager okay. and um, a motivator, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like with, like, you and me, you know, when you, when I got asked to do that speech at the ball the or not the ball but that brunch event right you know and i turned it down and then it was given to you like that is my role in community nikki because people need to hear you okay <laughs> i appreciate you turning it down or whatever but i just felt like i was just thrown out up in that bitch i was like excuse me i'm gonna have to do what like i, I was nervous i was terrified because this goes back to the conversation that we have about um, you know, articulating things, right? Mm, yeah. And me personally, I'm like, I'm going to go up on this stage mm-hmm. and I am not going to articulate mm-hmm. what it is that needs to be said. Mm. Bianca would be better no. in this space. Uh, no way. Are you kidding? I killed it. You absolutely did I murdered that shit. <laughs> you really did. People were coming up to you afterwards and... <laughs> <laughs> I felt great, okay? Antronique came out full You force. sure did. You sure did. And I don't feel like I could have delivered it any better than you. I really don't. This is like the thing, too, is like you, you do not see your own brilliance. In the last episode when you were talking with your uh, friend. Not you, uh, uh, yeah, past yeah, past episodes. <laughs> so if you haven't listened to past episodes, you need to listen. But, okay. Thanks. This is not an anthology. You need to catch up. <laughs> um, but yes, in the past episode, when you were talking about um, your experience in your graduate program, mm-hmm. and you were talking about having to sit in uh, and do critiques mm-hmm. with your classmates. And you said, you know, in the beginning, I was just like, oh, yeah, you did great, you know. And then um, and then your friend had said, I'm sorry, so I forgot. I forgot her name. Oh, Haley. Yeah, Haley. Um, Haley was like, well, I feel like you gave like really insightful um, feedback. And, you know, you were you, go, you gave really thoughtful criticism. And you were like, I did? Really? You said it so surprised. You were like you in in your voice. You were like very surprised to hear her say that about you, 
And I think you forget your brilliance so often. And that is such a normal occurrence when it comes to like black women. I see that all the time. Nobody can dim our light faster than we can. Mm. Because I have never expected myself to have a seat at the table. Mm. Every time I have gotten to a place of like, ooh, like I'm here. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, but you're not this enough. You're Mm -hmm. not that enough. Mm -hmm. And it's typically like I'm looking at it as like I'm the only dark skinned person in the room. Yeah. So that's the only reason why I can't Mm -hmm. do this thing. And then I start looking at other aspects of myself and it's like, well, you didn't say this thing right. Or you're not tall enough. Okay. Height mm. don't have anything to do with it, right, right. you know, but it's like, yeah. I start critiquing all of these things about myself mm-hmm. and then I just shut up and sit down and it's mm-hmm. like, this, this is where I'm meant to be. I'm just meant to shut up and everybody else is supposed to take control and tell me how I'm supposed to do the damn thing. Mm. Now I am in a place of changing my expectations mm-hmm. and letting go of this ideal that I have to do it a certain way. Mm -hmm. It has to be Mm -hmm. specific. It has to be palpable. Mm -hmm. It has to be Mm -hmm. whatever it is that other people are doing. And it doesn't have to be that way at all. No, it doesn't. That I understand what you mean though, because I feel like we've had this conversation before where we see folks that we work with and the way they talk about things, it's so polished. It's so polished. That you, like, the way that this, the way that they talk, they talk in such a polished and articulate manner that you don't know how to respond. At all. At all. <laughs> it's like, well, you just said what needed to be said. said in the most, and, and you, you gift wrapped it and you put it in a pretty little bow and you sent it to my house. And I can't tell you how much better to say it other than how, how you said And then they ask, oh, is there anything you want to ask? No, no. Absolutely not. You know, but I feel like we, we say, you know, you say equally as brilliant things and intelligent and insightful things, but it's not always going to sound, it, it, we can't compare ourselves to them because mm-hmm. them white folks, babe, <laughs> okay, they're like, you know, it, it's like the, the expectation has been different from the jump. The expectation of them versus us mm-hmm. has been different from the jump of like when we like, I mean, even just talking about my experiences in school, mm-hmm. you know, your experiences being Ooh. the only dark skinned black person. How are you supposed to feel comfortable in your voice when you're like when that's like your conditioning? You right. know what I mean? Like. You know, I talked about this in the the fir- very first episode, but my name, Antronique, and it's like when they get to the name on the roll, mm-hmm. it's either Louis, Louis, mm-hmm. or Aunt, and I'm like, yeah, and I shut it down. I'm like, Nikki, you can just mm-hmm. call me Nikki. Mm-hmm. There was one time, I know this is about to be so random, <laughs> but I remember in, in Spanish class, <clears throat> we had a sub, and mind you, the sub was a black woman, but <clears throat> there was... Me and two other black children in this class. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm, Antronique, she talks too much. Whatever. Okay, cool. Before class even really started, mm-hmm. me and the three other black individuals were talking blah, blah, blah. This lady goes, <clears throat> I can foresee the three of y'all being a problem in this class. Y'all need to leave. We look. Oh. Wow. How, you, one, mm-hmm. this coming from another black woman. Right. You can foresee the three mm-hmm. of us. I, I, I didn't know what was going on at the time. Right. Mm-hmm. But you can foresee mm-hmm. the three of us, the mm-hmm. only three people of color in this fucking class, mm-hmm. that we are going to be a problem. Mm-hmm. Cool, man. Thanks. Mm-mm. I don't even. Not all skin folk or kin folk. That's where that saying come from. Oh, <laughs> Not all skin folk or kin folk. You never heard that no. say? No. <laughs> okay. 
That ain't nothing but the damn truth, though. Yeah, sometimes it's our, sometimes it's the people in our community that be holding us back. Sometimes it is the people in our own community that holds the movement back. I, at times, have my own expectations of the black community. Mm. And then it's like, I step in the space and it's like, you're not enough of the black that we are. Mm. So move to the side. Mm. And it's like, oh, oops. Mm -mm. And then I get into another space and it's like, you are, uh, your black is just different from our black. You know, like, yeah, we all grew up in predominantly white areas, but yours is, is like, you're a little too much of the black. Mm. Like, your skin color. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Because I can just flip a switch mm-hmm. on, on, on my skin color. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, you know, I've talked about, I've I've been thinking about this for a while now, too. Like, talking about how it can be difficult to find, like, radical black folks in Texas like radical minded mm-hmm. black folks. And I, I say this because like, I just got done with my, my graduate program in social work. And there were a handful of black folks in that program. And, um, I would talk pretty openly about like the anti-blackness in the curriculum mm-hmm. at my university yeah, and how incredibly whitewashed the narratives that were taught to us were, you know, white theories and um, didn't at all give any acknowledgement to like the black folks that, you know, that, that created such like beautiful theories and beautiful frameworks of knowledge, like, and not just Kimberly Crenshaw. I mean, obviously Dr. Kimberly Crenshaw is brilliant, Mm -hmm. gave us intersectionality, you Mm -hmm. know, but you know, W.E.B. Du Bois, Mm -hmm. it gave us double consciousness. You know, you just had an episode about imposter syndrome, right? Double consciousness is where imposter syndrome was stolen from. I forgot you told me that. It was stolen from his work on Mm -hmm. double consciousness, talking about black folks in particular, the double consciousness that we feel constantly feeling imposters in this, in, in, in like in the workplace and school and institutions that were never built for us. And these having to walk through institutions that were established for white people that were never meant to welcome us mm-hmm. and the double consciousness that's where it stems from that theory of imposter syndrome it was stolen by a black man and we don't talk about that we don't talk about that at all at all you know, I knew nothing about that until I completely forgot we had this conversation. And why is it that I relate more when you say double unconsciousness than I do mm-hmm. imposter syndrome? Yeah. Because it's like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Like this, something like, about that feels clicks, right. That feels right. Mm. You know? It's like you're always having, you're having to split yourself in two almost. Yeah. You know? So I, I mean, like, and so when I would talk about this in class and I would talk about this in my, in, you know, throughout my program, a lot of like some, some, sometimes, not all the time, there were, there were like a few folks that like we really got on and we, you know, we created such a good click and we, you know, we had like a good support network, you know, Mm -hmm. But there was like a few times that like a few black people in my class like really were like very silent or, you know, would tell me like you need to be careful of not being labeled an angry black person. Like we don't want to perpetuate that stereotype, you know. But see, the thing is, as annoying as that is, Nikki, I understand. I understand that. I understand where they're coming from. I do. Like I understand it. It's hard because I know I'm very radical mm-hmm. in my values, but I understand that again, the way that the way my me being racially ambiguous has offered me protection mm-hmm. and the way that it hasn't offered protection to other black folks. And it can be dangerous to be 
a visibly black person with radical beliefs. Mm -hmm. That can be a very dangerous place, you know? And so I think for a lot of black folks, they, it's too scary. Mm -hmm. And, um, too scary. It's too scary. And I, I understand. I do. I get it. Um, it makes me sad that, that that's the way that it that it is, you know, because I want every black person to be radical in their beliefs and right. you know, like power lead the people, people. Yeah, yeah, lead the charge, you right. know, like you know, we're gonna dismantle colorism within our own community and texturism, and we're gonna, you know, we're gonna speak on these things and we're gonna call people out when they, you know, push us back, Baby. you know, Nick Minaj, I Spice, I'm looking at y'all, Ooh. I'm just saying. Love the music, don't like y'all, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> you know, you know what Nikki's, I'm saying. This track was trash. Just, just anyways, it mm-hmm. was, it was. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But Ice Spice. Mm-hmm. Well, Ice Spice but, did. You didn't hear about uh, that um, uh, that fan of Ice Spice that like called her called her on Twitter saying like Ice Spice needs to get a somebody to help her with her performance or take her back to the Bronx essentially. No, and. Um, well, because, girl, I love me so Ice Space, but she'd just be up there with the, the perform. Yeah, the stage presence isn't stage presenting. I mean, it needs it needs a little work, girl. Let's be right. honest. <laughs> Are we putting an expectation on how they need to perform? Maybe. Uh, maybe. Oh, okay. Yeah, maybe. Oh, if, okay. I'm, if I'm paying for a performance, uh, maybe there is an expectation to have a certain level that, that you meet, like a certain level of of entertainment if your job is an entertainer. Mm. Um, Another question real quick. want to drop this in there. Um, expectations, judgments. Mm, yeah, it's a fine line. Mm-hmm. So then this gets to the next point of this side. So then you can make... Because I, what I think mm-hmm. is that there was an expectation put on Ice Spice and as a response made a judgment. So here it is. So in response to this fan mm-hmm. saying we need to work on the stage presence mm-hmm. or go back to the Bronx, I Spice posts a picture of this fan, beautiful black woman mm-hmm. with a full figure, mm-hmm. which I love because as a fat person myself, I'm like, yes, baby. Mm-hmm. She was, she's beautiful, but she's a darker skinned black woman mm-hmm. with a fuller figure. And I spice posts this picture of her saying, while, uh, while we're giving constructive feedback, she need to go on a diet. She, what? yeah. What? Wow. What? Wow. She needs to go on a diet. Mm-hmm. This stunning black woman. Mm-hmm. That's all you got to say. This stunning, darker-skinned black woman. Mm. Mm. And I love me some Ice Spice, but she is lighter than me. Mm-hmm. She and, is and, a and, very, and. very light-skinned. And she is a small person. And she she has, I think, built a lot of her image based on her desirability. Mm-hmm. Not just desirability as in her body type, but a lot of desirability in her being light-skinned. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that's the expectation. That's what we love. Everyone needs to have them. You know, like when it comes to like certain celebrities and like Kevin Hart, you know, Mm -hmm. and he was married to like a dark skinned black black woman. And And left her for a... Yeah, Cat Williams. He got the the package, the Illuminati package. (laughs) Oh, Lord. You know. They all all get a light skin, a light skin biracial. (laughs) But that's the truth, though. It is. It is the truth. And then, and then, you know, as a dark-skinned black woman, it's kind of just like, here's another thing in society that's being like, hey, you're not good enough. Right. You're not good enough to be at the top tier mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. with someone else that's at the top tier. You're not desirable enough. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm expected to just take what I can get, mm-hmm. keep my mouth closed, mm-hmm. and go through life like it's everything is all good. Yeah. Fuck that, by the way. We're not doing that anymore. Mm-hmm. They, they criticize our bodies and then make it a commodity and sell it to white folks. They package it up and sell it to white folks. Let me throw this out here right now. (laughs) 
I love my white people that are in my life that are close to me. Yes, we're married to white people. We are married. <laughs> we are married <laughs> to white people. I have white in laws. My child is going to be a mix and have a white. So it, this is not to bash white no, people. No, it's just societal norms of the white people that. Well, why we, do we even have to give that disclaimer? Ooh, is my don't, thing. don't do that. Why don't do, do we, that? Why do we even gotta give that disclaimer? Because I feel as though I'm expected to. I'm yeah, not trying to get canceled. Exactly. You feel expected to cater to white feelings and white fragility. You feel expected to do that. Oh, Bianca. Why? See, I knew because having you here was going to be just so, so, just thank why, why did we have to give that disclaimer? My partner is white. He wouldn't be mad. He my, wouldn't be mad. Your partner is white. Would he be mad? Absolutely not. Okay, then. The white people that know, they the, know. The, the white people that this don't apply to won't be mad. And you know what? And the words of Megan the Stallion, a hit dog on holler. Oh, okay? damn. <laughs> a hit dog on holler. <laughs> you know? You absolutely right, though. Last thing I want to touch on. Speaking of our white partners, <clears throat> has there been any expectations set on the relationship? Having a white partner yes absolutely i mean just recently i i got called out by an ex co-worker saying that i have proximity to whiteness that they don't have because of my white partner mm. a non-black person a non-black person told me i have proximity to whiteness babe i don't need you to tell me about my proximity to whiteness mm. i don't need you to tell me about that you're not black you don't have any you do not have a dog in this fight you know mm-hmm. but so, but like the the use of that to discredit me, or, or or like to attempt, right, to devalue my blackness the way that I show up because I have a white partner. Because mm-hmm. I can tell you exactly why I have a white partner. I can tell you the reason. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's simple. Like I fell in love with somebody, and they happened to be white. You know, Same. he was the only per- only white person I ever dated, to be honest with you. And you know why? For the for the for the reason that I was scared to date a white person in Texas, to be 100 percent honest with you. Um, but Valid. but, you know, I had had many relationships where I did feel like either my blackness was um, something that I shouldn't celebrate mm-hmm. or. I felt that me being a light-skinned biracial person was fetishized. Mm-hmm. And I didn't like feeling that way. Right. And so when I met my partner, um, he was the first person that ever told me, he was like, I see you as a mm. black person. I see you as a black woman. And I love every part of that. Ooh. And he tells me every time, I see you as a black woman. Mm. And I love it. I love that every part of you. The way my husband, when I take my hair down out of box braids, twist, whatever, and my fro just out here, mm-hmm. dusty, crusty, mm-hmm. flakes flying everywhere. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He's just, babe, you're so beautiful. Just, I love your hair. I love your face. I love everything about oh. you. And in those moments, I'm like, that. That's my. That's your. That's my man. <laughs> Because, like you had mentioned earlier, Mm -hmm. all skin folks ain't kin folks. Mm -hmm. Not all skin folk are kin folk. Mm -hmm. Black men. Mm, Speak on it. When it comes to dark skinned women, Mm -hmm. I will just go based on my experiences, Mm -hmm. me in particular. Mm -hmm. Not trying to fuck with me. Mm -hmm. Not Mm -hmm. trying to fuck with me whatsoever. Mm -hmm. I ain't. They type, Mm -hmm. not trying to speak for the majority of black men, but they don't be fucking with a dark skinned black woman. Well, no, I mean, black men aren't a monolith, right? I mean, like this isn't to speak on black men in general, because there are beautiful and intelligent and kind black men that love black women and dark skinned black women. Absolutely. Um, But yeah, that's been your experience. Mm -hmm. My, my experience has been that I have been fetishize in the way that I talked about Ice Spice being and having the lean on her desirability being right. a light-skinned black woman and I didn't like that feeling. Mm-hmm. I didn't like that feeling of mm. 
you're only with me because you you have this desire to have light-skinned children right you know what i mean it's um yeah i didn't like that feeling at all and that again that's just my experience in this city in this city where community is small Mm -hmm. you know that has just been my experience and so you know like you when i met my partner and he was the first person that really saw and validated Mm -hmm. and loved my blackness I was like, yeah, this is it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It was the first time I ever ever felt that way. Mm-hmm. And he's, you know, it's been 11 years and he still makes me feel that way. Shout out to our partners. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Woo-woo. <laughs> Bianca, I really appreciate you being in this space with me. Before we wrap things up, because I know we can go on forever and ever and ever. <laughs> I know, has I, it been 30 minutes already? Look, <laughs> I don't even know, but I kind of feel like it's been 30 minutes. So I don't even want to leave. I don't even want to look at the clock because I already feel like it's been 30 minutes, so it's yeah. fine. But before we get out of here, is there anything that you would like to leave the audience with for them, anybody that is trying to meet some unrealistic expectation? Mm. Hmm. I would say it's never it's never going to be enough. It's never going to be enough. So don't so don't try. In your mind the expectation that you have for yourself, the expectation that others have for you is an impossible feat. And it's okay to want to strive to do your best as long as you don't let it stifle your progress. Damn. That hit me. Yeah. Bianca, I appreciate you. Mm-hmm. Like I end every episode, get out of your head, quiet the haters and go after what you truly want in life. I thank you all for listening in. And that's it for this episode of Two In Her Thoughts.